Welcome, and thank you for joining us for this Bible prophecy series titled Three Cosmic Messages, Earth's Final Conflict. As we look around the world today, we see uncertainty, uncertainty in the economic markets, political uncertainty, uncertainty with the weather patterns and global warming. We look around the world and we see pandemics, epidemics, natural disasters everywhere. And we ask the question, what does the future hold? Does God have a message for this generation that is tailor-made to prepare it for that which is coming upon the world as an overwhelming surprise? The good news is the book of Revelation reveals God's end-time message for humanity. During this series, we will study three cosmic messages, messages that speak to us with relevance and meaning and purpose today. Let's pray as we open the Word of God and we delve right into this first subject in this series of three cosmic messages. Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have a message for this generation, that the world has not been left in silence to wander around in confusion and darkness. Thank you that light from your word shines and that messages from heaven speak to us of hope and security and meaning. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This first presentation looks at an introduction to the three angels' messages. Now, that title may be familiar to you or it may be a little confusing. In the book of Revelation, God gives to us three life-changing, universal, eternal, dramatic messages pictured as being carried by three angels in midheaven. We call them three cosmic messages. These messages deal with an intergalactic struggle. They deal with a Star Wars controversy between good and evil. They deal with Christ's final message for humanity. To understand those messages in their fullest sense, it's necessary to understand the larger context of this controversy between good and evil. In this first presentation, we're going to take a look at Revelation, the 12th chapter, which is an introduction to Revelation chapter 14. The theme of this chapter in Revelation 12 is Jesus wins and Satan loses. The book of Revelation unravels history. It breaks Satan's code. Will you come with me for a few moments back in time to the Second World War. Hitler's armies were attacking England and the Nazi panzer divisions were moving very rapidly across Europe. Just 20 miles across the English Channel, Hitler was moving very quickly to destroy England. The air raids were frequent almost every evening. Winston Churchill was plotting how to counteract the attacks of Hitler in his underground war rooms. You can still visit those underground war rooms in London today. I visited them on numerous occasions. And there in those underground war rooms, the war strategy was being planned. But not too far from that, up the Thames River at Bletchley Park, there were a group of people working called the Code Breakers. Their great desire was to break the German Enigma Code. Recently, Simon Singh has written a book called The Code Book, The Secret History of Codes and Code Breaking. In that book, he tells the story of the Bletchley Park Code Breakers. Hitler had 130, 159 million Enigma Codes that needed to be broken. And these Code Breakers studied the codes. And there was one brilliant code breaker called Alan Turning. He was a mathematical genius. He was an intelligence officer in crypto intelligence. And he began studying those codes, began trying to figure out, how do I break the German codes? As he did, 
he came up with a method to break the German codes. And at times, they were able to track the German submarines in very real time. Other times, they were able to tell the Allied forces where those German submarines were so they could be destroyed and where the Allied forces' boats were so they could avoid those attack German submarines. The code breakers were largely responsible for helping to shorten the war. In fact, Jack Good, one of the code breakers, said this, I won't say that what turning did made us win the war, but I dare say we might have lost it without him. Code breakers were incredibly important in the Second World War to identify where the submarines were, to enable the Allied forces to avoid them, and to destroy those German submarines. The Book of Revelation is a code breaker. It breaks the code of Satan. It unmasks his plans. And as you and I study these prophecies in the Book of Revelation, we will discover just how Satan's code can be broken. The book of Revelation unmasks the plans of the evil one. It reveals the plans of God. Revelation chapter 12 outlines this great conflict, this great cosmic controversy, this intergalactic struggle between good and evil. The theme of Revelation 12 is Jesus wins and Satan loses. There are four great episodes in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. We're going to look at every one of those episodes. And these episodes will prepare us to understand the three cosmic messages in Revelation, the 14th chapter. In episode number one, there's a battle for the throne. Come with me. Travel with me back over the millenniums of time. Travel with me to the very throne room of the universe. Travel with me to the epicenter of this conflict as it began. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 9 says, And war broke out in heaven. Now that's a strange place for war, isn't it? War breaks out where? In heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. This text goes on nor is a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives, now notice the word deceives, the whole world. Satan is a deceiver. He was cast into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Every angel had to make a choice. The Bible says, the dragon and his angels fought, and Michael and his angels fought. So there was a conflict, an intergalactic conflict, a Star Wars battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, between heaven's forces and what soon became the forces of the evil one. The issue had to be allegiance. The issue was who is worthy to rule? This is a Star Wars controversy far beyond anything that you and I could ever imagine. Every angel had to make a choice. There was no neutrality in that first conflict. Some time ago, I read a fascinating story that illustrates this idea of neutrality in conflict in crisis. There was a young college student, and this young college student was looking at the want ads in the newspaper, and he was studying his iPad to try to discover a job for the summer. He was going to a Christian college and it cost quite a bit of money to go and so he needed to offset his costs. And so he studied, where can I work for the summer? He found an ad on the iPad that indicated, as he Googled it, that there was very good pay if he would go up and cut timber in the country of Canada, go up spend the summer in the forests and cut the timber there. As he was looking at the ads, he saw the hourly wage. He saw what he might make for the summer. He really, was really excited about it. So he decided to sign up and go up to Canada to cut timber. His friends began to counsel with him, and they said, Look, if you go there, those rough, tough, cursing, swearing, drinking, foul-mouthed, Lumberjacks are going to tear you apart. You're a thin young man who doesn't have much substance to you, and they are just going to break you in half. Once they find out you're a Christian, 
They are going to ridicule you. You're going to have a horrible summer. He needed the money, so he went. When he came back after the summer, his friend said to him, well, tell us, how did you do working with those guys all summer? He smiled and he said, I did great. Made a lot of money, never had one problem at all. You did great. Well, why'd you do so great? They never found out that I was a Christian. Neutrality. Neutrality. They never found out that I was a Christian. In that cosmic battle between good and evil, every angel had to make a choice. And these three cosmic messages that we are going to be studying in Earth's final conflict in these last days of Earth's history, in these days, every human being is going to have to make a decision. There will be no neutrality, no middle ground in this conflict between good and evil. You see, the freedom to choose is a fundamental principle of God's government. God has created every one of us with conscience, with reason, with judgment. Every single one of us has that capacity, that innate capacity to choose. And in Earth's final war, the entire human race will be brought to that moment of destiny, that choice. In fact, Revelation ends at Revelation 22 with the words, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. Every human being will have to make that decision. Has it gripped you yet? Maybe you're a little bit neutral. Maybe you're on the fence. You haven't fully committed to Christ. You haven't committed your life to Him. But yet... There's that desire in your heart to be all out for Christ. This is the time to make that decision. We are living in a crisis time in Earth's history. We're living in the final moments of Earth's history. And the freedom to choose, God is never going to force you, but the freedom to choose is a fundamental principle of God's government. A 19th century writer wrote with spiritual insight in a manuscript that she addressed in 1899, and she says this, Christ shows that there can be no such thing as neutrality in his service. No such thing as what? Neutrality. The soul must not be satisfied with anything short of entire consecration. Consecration of thought, voice, spirit, and every organ of mind and body. Christ is appealing to us to be totally committed to him. The statement goes on. It's not enough that the vessel be emptied. It must be filled with the grace of Christ. Jesus longs to fill you with his grace. He longs to fill you with his power. He longs to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He longs for you to be a powerful witness for him in a world of darkness, shining as a light for his eternal kingdom. There is no neutrality in earth's final war. Notice what the scripture says, Revelation 12, verse 7 and 8, the dragon, that's the devil. The Bible says the dragon's the devil in Revelation. And his angels fought, but they did not what? They did not what? Prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. I love the but there. The dragon and the or the devil and his angels fought, but, 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 but they did not, what? They did not prevail in that first battle between Christ and Satan. Jesus wins and Satan loses. Jesus is the mighty warrior. Jesus is the conquering general. Jesus is the victorious Lord. Jesus is the triumphant king. Jesus has never lost a battle with Satan yet. And he will not lose a battle for your soul either, my friend, because he is the triumphant king. When one third of the angels, according to Revelation, battled against Christ in heaven, Jesus stood up and with all his power and might cast them out of heaven. In episode two, Jesus wins and Satan loses. Millenniums pass. Satan plans his next strategy. Christ the Messiah is to come to earth. Jesus is here to be born on earth and Satan plans to destroy the Christ child. The Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 4 and 5, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
Now, who's the dragon, everybody? Who is that? That's Satan. And he's standing before the woman who's ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it's born. Who is this man-child born of the woman? None other than Jesus Christ. The Bible says she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. So Christ was to be born, born of a virgin in Bethlehem's manger. Prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament reveal the birth of Christ. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 reveals his birthplace, he'd be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7 verse 14 reveals that he would be born of a virgin. And the book of Numbers reveals that a star would lead the wise men to this Christ and to his birthplace. His birth was predicted ahead of time. Isaiah 61 predicts his life ahead of time, the ministry of Christ. Psalms 22 talks about the death of Christ and that he would be crucified and not be stoned. The Bible in Zechariah talks about the fact that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver by a friend and not an enemy. So Christ, this male child born of the virgin, was the living Christ, the divine Christ. Jesus was more than a good man, more than an ethical philosopher, more than a religious teacher. He indeed was the divine son of God. She bore a male child who eventually would rule all nations with the rod of iron. Now, this is a very interesting expression, this expression, the rod of iron. In the Bible, a rod is a symbol of dominion or rulership. You'll remember Moses lifted the rod and the Red Sea opened and Israel came through that Red Sea probably 20 miles across, over 130 feet deep, a miracle that God worked as they came through. In the Bible, a rod is a symbol of dominion or rulership. You remember too, Moses took his rod and he threw it down and, it, and, and the snakes of the Egyptians were eaten up by, by that uh, rod that became a snake from Moses. It's, a rod, it's always a symbol of dominion or power. Now, what about this idea of iron, the rod of iron? A rod of iron is a symbol of unbreakable, all-powerful, invincible rulership. So when Christ is born of the virgin, although Satan tries to destroy him and Satan tries to take his life, and at every step of Jesus' life, Satan tried to destroy him, whether it was at his birth, during his life, whether it was in the wilderness of temptation, on the cross of Calvary, but Jesus would rule with a rod of iron. Jesus is the unbreakable one. Jesus is the all-powerful one. Jesus is the invincible one. This Christ who came and tabernacled in human flesh, this Christ who died on Calvary's cross, this Christ who rose from the dead, this Christ is your Christ, he is my Christ, he is the Jesus of the book of Revelation. Jesus faced every single temptation we faced and he came off as conqueror. The theme of the book of Revelation is Jesus wins and Satan loses. Satan failed to destroy him as a child. He failed to defeat him in his life. He failed to demolish him in his death. And because Christ triumphed, we can triumph. In the crises that are coming upon this world, that'll break upon this world as an overwhelming surprise, we are secure in Christ. Our life is anchored in Christ. Our life is definitely without any possibility of our being eternally lost in Christ. If we are in Christ, all of Satan's attacks cannot in any way destroy us. The all-powerful risen Christ has defeated Satan. In episode number one, Satan's cast out of heaven. Jesus wins, Satan loses. In episode number two, Satan tries to destroy Jesus as a child. But again, Jesus wins, Satan loses. In Revelation 12, verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, what kind of a voice? A loud voice. Why a loud voice? Because God wants you to hear it. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. When Jesus is born, what comes? Notice these things that come, four things. Salvation comes in Christ. Strength comes in Christ. The kingdom of God comes in Christ and power comes in Christ. So when Jesus is born, 
You and I have salvation. You and I have strength. You and I have the kingdom of God has come in Christ. We live within the glory of that kingdom of grace and the power of Christ has come. The dying Christ declares us righteous through his blood and the living Christ makes us righteous through his intercession. When Christ dies for us, salvation is ours as a gift. Grace is ours. Pardon is ours. Mercy is ours when Christ dies. But Jesus is not only the dying lamb, Jesus is the living priest. And this Christ that is alive, this Jesus that is alive, gives to us strength and grace and power. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 11, about our victory in Christ. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, there are three things about this particular passage we want to look at. First, they overcame him. What does it mean to overcome him? The second thing we want to look at at the passage is by the blood of the lamb. Practically, what does that mean? And the third thing we want to look at is the word of their testimony. The book of Testimonies was written. This is a book. Testimonies is a book that was written by Ellen White to the church. Testimonies of grace and testimonies of encouragement. She wrote to a young man who had married a woman who was very sick. And she wrote to this young man and um, said to him, you have become extremely depressed. And this is what she wrote. Your life is now miserable, full of evil forebodings. Gloomy pictures loom up before you. Dark unbelief has enclosed you, yet no one can help you as well as yourself. If you want faith, talk faith, talk hopefully, talk cheerfully. Now remember what our text said in Revelation 12, verse 11. They overcame him, what? By the blood of the lamb and by what else? The word of their what? Testimony. So here, Ellen White, this woman of great spiritual insight, counsels this young man and counsels this young woman. She says, if you want faith, what do you do? You talk faith. If you want faith, what do you do? You talk hopefully, you talk cheerfully. In other words, knowing that Christ has triumphed over the powers of hell, knowing that Jesus has overcome the principalities and powers of darkness, we live in the victory of Christ. We live in that victory because he has sustained it for us. So no matter how we feel, we may feel discouraged, we may feel disappointed, we may feel weak, but we do not cry out in our weakness. We cry out in faith, grasping by faith, the living reality of Christ, living in the crisis of this earth's history, living in the closing hours of earth's history, Darkness will surround us. The situation in the world will become dire. There'll be economic collapse. There will be pandemics that sweep across our world. There will be political disasters. There will be war and famine and pestilence. And if we look at those things, we will be overwhelmed and depressed, but looking beyond what is to what will be, looking beyond what is to he who is. So we do not look at what is, we look at he who is. And Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, is all-powerful. He has overcome the evil one. Our faith grows as we accept Christ's victory as our own. Our faith will grow as we accept the victory of Jesus Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in our behalf. So we live in that victory. Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now remember the text. We've read it, but we're, we're unpacking it. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. Salvation, strength, the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ has come. Why? For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan, who accused them day and night before our God is cast, has been cast out. So Satan defeated, cast out of heaven. Satan was defeated in heaven. He was defeated at the cross but there is still this battle that wages on earth. There's the battle for your mind. There's the battle for your heart. There's the battle for your soul. It still wages here. Remember what our text said. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. In this cosmic struggle between good and evil, in earth's final conflict, we are in the midst of a battle. And Satan is not going to give up easy if you're going through a struggle right now. If you're going through a crisis in your life right now, if you're going through a battle right now, if the forces of hell seem to be overwhelming you right now, we are in the middle of a cosmic conflict. But the same Jesus that cast Satan out of heaven, the same Jesus that defeated Satan in his life and death and resurrection, that all-powerful Christ, as you reach out to grasp him by faith, as you open your heart to his love and you're washed by his love and grace, Jesus will sustain you. Jesus will deliver you. Jesus will enable you to have the shackles that bind you severed. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They live not their lives to death. Now, we looked at that phrase, the word of their testimony. We speak out the victory in Christ, whether we feel that victory or not. But what does it mean? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Now, notice it says they overcame him. They were not overcome. They overcame him. Victory is ours. They are not overcome. They overcame. They are not defeated. They are what? Victorious. They are not conquered. They are what? Conquerors. They did not lose the battle. They do what? They win the battle. Now, the word overcome is a very, very fascinated word, fascinating word. It's called nikeo. And uh, that's the Greek word. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And uh, the word nikeo means to conquer, to prevail, to triumph, to come through victoriously. So the word overcome in the Greek language is a very strong word. It's not a weak word. It has to do with conquest. It has to do with victory. And when the Bible says they overcame him, that's not, oh, they, 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 they overcame him. It's they overcame him. It's a very strong word that indicates that victory is certain for the one who is in Christ, whose faith is in Christ, the one who has the grace and power of Christ living in their lives. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, this expression, the Lamb of God, is used frequently. Notice the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to death. The expression, the Lamb of God, is used throughout the book of Revelation. In fact, it's used 28 times in the book of Revelation. Now, numbers in the book of Revelation are, are very interesting, and they are code words for us. In the book of Revelation, four represents universality, the four winds of the compass. It has to do with, with completeness or universality, every direction of the compass, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. That's four. In the book of Revelation, seven indicates perfection. You have the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven spirits of God, seventh-day Sabbath, all of that in Revelation. Four times seven is 28. So in the book of Revelation, what you have is that Christ is the universal Savior as the Lamb of God, and he is the perfect Savior because he provides the perfect sacrifice for the sins of humanity, and he has perfectly overcome the powers of hell. Now, we're going to look at one of those Bible passages, that of those 28 in the book of Revelation, that talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God. In Revelation 5, verse 6, it says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Now, that's a very strange place for a slain lamb to be. You look up into heaven, and uh, there you see this lamb that has been slain. And all of heaven is worshiping there, having seven horns and seven eyes. Now, in the Bible, horns are a symbol of power. Seven horns are perfect power. Eyes are a symbol of wisdom. And so you have the Christ there, this slain lamb in heaven, 
who is perfectly wise in implementing the plan of our salvation through his life and death on the cross and through his high priestly ministry and who has all power to overcome Satan. And the seven spirits, the seven spirits have to do with the complete ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring the power of Christ and the wisdom of Christ into our life. So here you have the Lamb of God before the very throne of God, this slain lamb. Now when John looks up and sees this slain lamb in heaven, he sees a scroll that's opened. And that's the scroll, of course, of judgment. And as he sees that, he asks, who is worthy to open the scroll? And John sees nobody worthy to open that scroll. And he begins to weep because he knows that if no one can open the scroll, then the entire universe is, is lost. The entire planet Earth is lost. And then he sees the lamb step forth, Jesus Christ. Now, you remember what John said when Jesus came for his baptism in John 1, verse 29. He said, behold, that is, look at the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The original language for takes away is bears away the sins of the world. So Jesus takes away our sin. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame. He takes away our condemnation. He takes away the grip of sin upon our life. William Barclay, a great Bible commentator, puts it this way. The forgiveness which is in the cross has left Satan, the accuser, no possible accusation to make. Satan, the accuser, has no possible accusation anymore. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him, Revelation 12, 11, second episode. They overcame him by what? By what? By the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? It means in the death of Christ on Calvary's cross, the principalities and powers of hell were cast down. Satan was defeated. Forgiveness is ours. Freedom from guilt is ours. There is no condemnation, Romans 8, verse 1, to those that are in Christ Jesus. I love the way Charles Wesley puts it. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before thy throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. You and I have a Christ that died for us. We have a Christ that lived for us. We have a Jesus that's in heaven for us. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. A bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. If you've come to Christ and accepted his sacrifice on the cross and are his child, your place in heaven has already been assured through his victory. You have a passport to heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Right now, we dwell on earth with these paltry bodies that are so subject to disease and sickness. We dwell on earth with all of its conflict and uncertainty. But by faith, we dwell in the heavenly realms with Christ. And we are as really there today by faith as if we live there. Because Jesus has guaranteed our place there. You know, some time ago, I was traveling from one of the Middle Eastern countries. And because I travel internationally a lot, I uh, typically have two passports, two American passports. But one of my passports had run out and I had forgotten that I had an Israeli stamp in one of my passports. And that was the passport I was using. So I was leaving this particular Middle Eastern country that has no diplomatic relationship with Israel at all. And um, if you have an Israeli passport leaving that country, it's really problematic and uh, they will detain you, they'll keep you. So I was leaving this country and came to passport control and the security officer took my passport, began looking through it and he said, Israel stamp. I didn't say anything, Israel stamp. And I could see he was not a friendly a friendly guy at all. And he said, I said, oh yes, that is an Israeli stamp. He said, wait here. And so he walked back and talked to some more security people, came back again, Israel stamp. Yes, it is. I travel internationally and I travel to many Middle Eastern countries. I began listing off all the Middle Eastern countries that I travel to, uh, Turkey, Jordan, you know, Egypt, etc. And he said, Israeli stamp. I said, yes. Then he went to the police and I, my heart was beating a little faster. You say, you're a pastor. You should have had faith. Yeah, well, I had faith, but I still had a heart too. And so I, I just prayed, Lord, please, please. And he came back and I said, well, here I go to the police. He just gave me my passport back and he said, you go now. 
And I tell you, he didn't have to tell me twice. I took off, you know. And so, but, but when I, I had the wrong stamp in my passport. Now, I had a quite different experience. When I came back to the United States, I handed my American passport to the passport control security officer. He took my passport, he smiled and said, welcome home. What was the difference? I was a citizen of the United States. I had a passport to enter. Through Jesus Christ and his blood, you have a passport for eternity. And Jesus says to you, welcome home, my child. You belong here in Christ and by Christ and through Christ and because of Christ. You belong here. You, we're no longer foreigners or, or, or aliens, but we are citizens of the kingdom through Christ. Satan's charge against God in heaven was that God was a dictator, a tyrant who did not have the best interest of his creatures in view. But in the cross of Calvary, in the life and death and resurrection of Christ, Satan's charges have been answered. We have a Savior who has provided for us an open door into heaven. On the cross, love triumphs over hate. Righteousness triumphs over unrighteousness. Goodness triumphs over evil. Napoleon once said this to his soldiers, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded great empires. But upon what did the creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this very day, millions would die for him. There is a kingdom that's out of this world founded on the grace of Christ and the love of Christ. And the book of Revelation invites you into that kingdom to experience that grace, to experience that love. And Jesus says to you and to me today, Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Christ walks with us through the darkness of this world. And in the cosmic conflict, in earth's final conflict, Three cosmic messages speak to our hearts. They say to us that Christ is with us. Christ is revealing himself to us in his love and grace and goodness and mercy. Episode number one, there's a battle in heaven. Satan is cast out of heaven. He does not prevail. Episode number two, Satan focuses attention upon Christ on earth and he tries to destroy Jesus. And in that second episode, Jesus wins and Satan loses. Christ dies, but he's resurrected. He lives in heaven for us. Episode number three, Satan attacks God's people in the Middle Ages. Centuries pass. And there in the Middle Ages, there is this long period known as the period of darkness. Revelation 12, verse 6, the Bible says, then the woman. Who's the woman? In Bible prophecy, it's the church fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, the thing that I want you to notice here is this, that for every attack of Satan, there is a place prepared by God. For every time Satan attacks you, every time Satan tries to destroy your life, God has prepared a place of refuge for you. God has prepared a place of security for you. Jesus has already defeated Satan. The theme of Revelation 12 and the entire book of Revelation, Jesus wins, Satan loses. Back to our text, the woman the church flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. In verse 13, it says of Revelation 12, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. So who's the woman? The church who gave birth to the male child. Who's the male child? Jesus. And so Satan tried to destroy Christ in heaven. He was cast out. Tried to destroy Christ when he was born. Could not accomplish that. But the woman, that is the church, eventually was too, given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. The sixth verse talks about the 1260 years this talks about a time, times, and half a time. They're both the same period. But notice what happens to the church in the wilderness. She is what? Nourished. Every time the devil tries to attack you. Every time the devil tries to destroy you. Every time you walk through your wilderness of darkness, God has a prepared a place for you. 
But not only has he prepared a place of security and assurance, he's going to nourish you there. You are going to grow spiritually in your darkness. You may be going through the trauma of a divorce right now. You may feel lonely, defeated, and discouraged. You may have lost a job, and you're facing an economic challenge in your life. You may be going through a very hard time where you've struggled with habits, and you feel discouraged by that. The Christ of Revelation speaks to you right now. Whoever you are, wherever you are, Jesus is saying to you, in the wilderness of your life, in the darkness of your life, I'm going to nourish your soul. I have never lost a battle with Satan before, and I'm not going to lose the battle in your life. Now, notice, what about this 1,260 years? The Bible prophecy often uses code languages, and just like those code breakers in Bletchley Park with Alan Turing, who had to break the code of the German Enigma codes, so God uses code language in the book of Revelation. He talks about beasts or kingdoms that rise up out of the sea. He talks, and we'll be studying those in this series. That's why you don't want to miss one of these presentations. But here, when he talks about this 1260 days, he's using code language again, a prophetic period. Now, some scholars, even non-Christian scholars, talk about a period of the Dark Ages. And here, in this 1260-day period, there's code language. What are these literal days? What does the Bible say? Numbers 14 verse 3 says, um, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years. You remember the story. Israel spied out the land. They spied it out for 40 days. And God predicted they would wander in the wilderness for 40 days years. It's in the Bible we call this the day-year principle. In other words, one prophetic day equals one literal year. Now, every time in the Bible, the Bible uses the word day, that does not mean year. A day is a day in the Bible. But when you see the prophetic symbolism of beasts, when you have symbolic chapter, that day-year principle applies. Ezekiel 4 verse 6, again, you have that same principle. I've laid on you a day for a what? A year. So throughout the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, we have great empires that rise. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Some of you have studied that before. We have the divisions of the Roman Empire. Then we have this long period known as the Dark Ages. That period of Dark Ages began when the Roman church and state united. The Roman church had driven out the last of the barbarian tribes, defeated them, the Ostrogoths from uh, Rome at the time. And most scholars look at this 1260 prophetic days or years as beginning in 538 A.D. That would take us to 1798. What indeed would happen at that period of time? You know, during that dark ages, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. During those 1260 years, church and state had united. And when church and state united during that period of time, God's people were persecuted. They were oppressed. Uh, the mighty power of the church persecuted those that did not go along. But as the Bible says, they were hard-pressed. God's people were hard-pressed, but they were not crushed. They were perplexed, but they were not in despair. They were persecuted, but not forsaken. They were struck down, but not destroyed. God preserved his people during that period of time. At the end of that 260 years, Napoleon sent his general Berthier south. They captured the Pope of Rome, Pius VI, on November 20, 1798, and he died in captivity. During that long period of persecution, what happened? God's people were victorious. The light of truth was not totally snuffed out. Four episodes in Revelation chapter 12 that set the tone for these three cosmic messages. Episode number one, Christ wins, Satan loses, evil angels are cast out of heaven, they do not prevail. Episode number two, Jesus comes, he's born as a babe in Bethlehem's manger. Satan fo focuses the forces of hell and tries to destroy him. Jesus wins. Satan loses. Christ dies. Salvation is yours. It's mine. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He lives as our great high priest. In that episode number one, Jesus wins, Satan loses. 
Episode number three, long period of darkness. Church, state, unite. People of God persecuted, but the light of truth is not snuffed out. God's people are not ultimately completely destroyed. They win in this period of darkness. Throughout the Middle Ages, God has always been with his people. He's never left them. But we come now and notice this wonderful statement in a book on the life of Christ called Desire of Ages, page 679. Christ rejoiced that he could do more for his followers than they could ask or think. He spoke with assurance, knowing that an almighty decree had been given before the world was made. He knew that truth, armed with the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit, would conquer in the contest with evil, and that the blood-stained banner would wave triumphantly over his followers. He knew that the life of his trusting disciples would be like his, a series of uninterrupted victories, not seen to be such here, but recognized as such in the great hereafter. A series of what? Un interrupted victories. Your life can be one of victory. You are on the winning side. Episode number four. Satan is going to viciously attack God's last day people and that's what this series is going to focus on particularly in the three angels messages. But we've studied it historically in this presentation. Satan's going to viciously attack the remnant but Jesus is going to win. Satan's going to lose. Look, Revelation 12, verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman. What's enraged mean? Angry. Who's the dragon? Satan. And he goes to make war. Satan made war in heaven. He's made war down through the centuries, and he will make war with God's last day people. He'll make war with God's remnant church. He went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus in the last days of earth's history. God will have a people a divine movement of destiny, a people that are committed to Christ, a people that are sold out to Christ, a people that love Christ more than anything else, and they, because of their love, will respond obediently and keep his commandments. The question in the great controversy between good and evil is who has our loyalty? Who has your loyalty right now? Are you totally sold out to Christ? Are you on the winning side. Down through the ages, Jesus has never lost a battle with Satan. He's not going to lose the battle in the final conflict. You and I can be on the winning side. Although we might find oppression, persecution, difficulty, challenges, Christ will never leave us. Christ will never forsake us. I think of the story of Dan Crawford. He was called by the Africans Kungavantu, means the gatherer of the people. He was one of the followers or protégés of David Livingston. Born in December 7, 1870, died in June 23, 1926. Dan Crawford was a mighty witness for Christ. He traveled to the ends of the earth, went into the jungles and primitive areas in Africa and shared Jesus. On one occasion, he was sleeping, and as he yawned, he hit a table and a terrible gash in his arm. He wrote about it this way in his diary. This week, I suffer under a grave disability. My left arm is poisoned. This poisoning is knifing me very hard, so we are in God's hand. And all is well. It is harrowing and might have been avoided. Only I was sleeping in my little den in a deep sleep. This made me forget the iodine, which is the panacea of my life. To say that it is harrowing is only to remind you that it is the harrow that produces the smiling lands of corn. And this explains that we glory in tribulation verse, but do we? Goodbye, dear friends. We will meet at the appearing in excellent glory. Dan Crawford died there in Africa. His body is buried not far from Lake Muru. It is there in the Democratic Congo, buried with other missionaries. And as he died, he wrote something just before his death in the flyleaf of his Bible. I have written it in the flyleaf of my Bible. It shows that we may go through challenges, we may go through difficulties, we may go through heartaches, but we are on the winning side. Notice what he wrote. I cannot do it alone. The waves dash fast and high. 
The fog and mist set in. The light goes out in the sky. But I know in the end, we too shall win. Jesus and I. A coward, wayward and weak. I change with the changing sky. Today I'm so strong and brave. But tomorrow I'm too weak to try. But he never gives up. And in the end, we too shall win, Jesus and I. This world is headed for a tremendous crisis. A crisis of epidemic proportions that you and I can hardly realize. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The institutions that we have once had confidence in will crumble. Before the coming of Jesus, there is only one thing that will get you through, and that is trust and confidence in him. And not only will we go through a crisis at the time of the end, but many of us are facing crises today, crises that we ourselves are incapable of handling. Right now, Jesus says to you, my child, I have never lost a battle with Satan yet. I've never lost one conflict with the evil one. And I'm with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am there for you. Will you right now reach out to him? Will you right now open your heart to him? Will you say, Jesus... I am yours. I don't want to play games. Every angel in heaven had to make a choice. In the days of Jesus, men and women had to make a choice. In the Middle Ages, they had to make a choice. And in the last days of earth's history, every human being will be led to that choice. As we pray right now, would you like to say, Jesus, I am yours. Totally, completely absolutely yours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the living Christ. Thank you that we are on the winning side. Thank you that you defeated Satan in heaven, that you defeated Satan on earth in the days of Christ. You defeated him in the Middle Ages. You defeated him in every age of earth's history. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the victorious Lord and will be victorious in our lives. We give our lives to you now. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And may we, through Christ and by Christ, because of Christ, be overcomers. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, my friend. I look forward to seeing you next time as we probe even more deeply these messages, Earth's final conflict, three cosmic messages, You don't want to miss one of these presentations. Next time, we'll go into Revelation, the 14th chapter. And there, we'll begin to look at the theme of Earth's final harvest. Stay with us. Invite friends to watch this series with you. And today, leave with the assurance that your hand is in the hand of the living Christ. Amen.